If you're able, I would ask that you would stand for the reading of the word of God. We will be reading the scripture that was read in your hearing from the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 10. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, so if you have the option, I would encourage you to use that version as well. And I'd like to read together, verse 10 through and including verse 13. Let us read together. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to base and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that you set in front of us before the foundation of the world that we would be gathered here together under your word, Lord. We pray that your word would go forward. And as you say in your word, we know it will not return unto you void, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would have your way and that we would see you in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The story is told of a man who liked to drive his sports car. And he would drive all around town on winding roads because of how well the car performed. And he was an experienced driver, so he had a lot of joy in doing that. But on one particular day, as he's driving, he goes off the road, and he crashes the car and goes down the side of an embankment. He was able to get out the car, and he was climbing back up to the road. And as, he, as he's waiting there, he appears to be in shock as he's just moving back and forth. And when the paramedics came and arrived on the scene, they asked, is he okay? Because all they could hear him saying is, oh, my Mercedes, oh, my Mercedes. And when they looked at him, they assumed he had to be in shock because they said to him, sir, are you okay? Because I guess you don't realize your arm is gone. And he looked at where his arm would have been and shouted out, oh, my Rolex, oh, my Rolex. <laughs> See, a lot of us today are like that. We, we get so wrapped up in things that they control us. And because they control us, it distorts what we see. It distorts how we are. We get concerned with how many likes we get. And we get defined by what others have said and are saying about us. And the problem with that today particularly for the church, is that a lot of us in the church are the same way. We let society define who we are and how we are. And when we do that, we lose something very important, and that is the reality that God is in charge. God is in charge. Make no mistake about it, no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what people say, no matter what you're going through, no matter what state you find yourself in, if, we, if you and I will learn to understand that God is in charge, it will change the direction of our lives because it will change how, our, how we operate in our lives. 
Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. And he's addressing them because of their circumstances and their issues. And he opens up in this particular portion of scripture in verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Like any good preacher, Paul decides to talk about the money. He decides to talk about the money. Now, the reason why I say it's the money is because it's the money, it's not your money. I know you may have worked for it. I know your name may be on the check. But in order to understand how this thing works, you got to understand some things. And that's one of the things you got to understand is that it's not yours in the beginning with, okay? It is the money. There are three principles I want you to understand about this passage. And the first one is we got to see things clearly. We got to see things clearly. The reason why a lot of us think it's our money is because we don't see things clearly. <laughs> Paul said to them, I'm rejoicing. I'm happy that now you can give to me again. But here's the issue. I know that you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. So you didn't give to me, not because you didn't want to, it's because you didn't have the opportunity. Whatever stood in the way of you giving to me had to do with opportunity, not desire. And so in order for us to see things clearly, we got to have the right focus. We got to have the right mindset on what's important. And if you want to know how spiritual somebody is, all you got to do is ask them to see their bank account. That's all you got to do. Because your bank account will tell you how spiritual you are. Now, it's not in the amount that you give, and it's not even in what you give, it's it, what, what, what your bank account will show somebody is what you think about the finances that God has entrusted to us. All the amens in the world, all the coming to Bible study, all the reading of the books and reading of the texts, don't change that. That's important, but that doesn't reflect necessarily how spiritual you are. If you want to know who is spiritual, look at their bank account. That'll tell you who's spiritual. So he said to them, I know that you wanted to give, but you lacked the opportunity. But I want you to understand that I can see things clearly because it's not about the fact that I didn't get a gift from you. It's about the fact that you didn't have an opportunity. He could see things clearly. So how do you know if you can see things clearly? The way you know if you can see things clearly is when you take the focus off what somebody else got and put it on you. So many of us worry so much about what other people got and what they do and what they don't have that we don't focus on what we got and what we should have or what we should do. Paul spoke to this in verse 11. He said, not that I speak in regard to need. He said, it ain't about what I have or don't have, okay? That's not the issue. That's not the issue. And that's how you know that you've moved from not seeing things clearly to seeing things clearly when you begin and I begin to focus on me mm -hmm. instead of focusing on what somebody else has and what they give or what they don't give. It leads to a second principle that I think is really important that you understand. And that principle is, it is no until you grow. It is no until you grow. He says in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be full and hungry, 
both to abound and to suffer need. He says, look, he says three words, two times. He says, I have learned. I have learned. Now, that's good news for you and me, okay? This is the greatest Christian in the New Testament. This is the great. And he said, I had to learn. I had to learn. He said, I learned how to, I learned how to have little, and I have learned how to have lots, okay? And the issue is he knew that he needed to grow. So how do you know where you stand in regard to this? How do you know? The way you know is what you think about what you got, okay? That's, that's how you know where you are. It's, it's not in what you have. It's not whether you got a lot or whether you got a little. It's what you think about what you got. So how do I know this? He says, simply, to be content. To be content. He didn't say, I'm happy with the situation. He said, I'm content, okay? So what is contentment? Contentment is more like joy. It's, a, it's an inner satisfaction, okay? There's a big distinction between being happy and being joyful, okay? A lot of us chase after being happy when the real issue we should be chasing at is being joyful because happiness is based upon your circumstances. You can be happy today because things are going good, but if things don't go good tomorrow, you probably aren't going to be happy. Happiness is based upon circumstances. Joy is an act of the will. Joy says, regardless of my circumstances, this is how I feel about a situation. So Paul could say, I have learned to be content because he understood what happiness had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with joy. If you do a word study of this book, of the Philippians letter, you will find Paul stating over and over and over and over again about being joyful. Okay, you could, you, could, you could retitle the book of Philippians as the book of joy. And what's remarkable about this is that Paul wrote this letter from prison about to die. Okay, and yet all he spoke about was joy. He says, the joy that I have is based upon my circumstances as they relate to Christ, not because of my circumstances in life. So we got to know that we is no until we grow. It is no until we grow. If you're sitting down on a little and you want a lot, okay, you need to know that it's no until you grow. And I know some of you are saying, I, I got a lot of experience dealing with a little. I, I would love some experience dealing with a lot, <laughs> okay? But the issue, more than likely, is not how you manage your finances. The issue is, are you content? Have you, have you shown that you're able to handle a little so that God can give you more? Because he ain't going to give you more if you don't handle a little well. And, and the way you know if you're handling it well is, are you content? Okay? Now, being content is not, I'm holding on until my change come. That ain't being content. That's putting the mask on your face and saying, I'm going to pretend I'm happy until I can take it off and be happy. Okay? Being content says, Whatever place God puts me in, is that where he wants me to be? Yeah. And if, if that's where he wants me to be, there's no better place. Amen. And so when you go from there, he will work the situations out that, he, that we need him to work out. But understand, Paul said, I have learned to have a little, and I have learned to have And a lot of us think that if you got a lot, then you're better off, you're happier. But the Bible tells us clearly that 
God can give you all that you think you want, but sometimes he will do something else with it and he'll give you a leanness of the soul. In other words, he'll put a hole in your heart so big that you could drive a Mack truck through it. And so you got all that you think you want, but you're still unhappy. You still can't find no joy because you haven't learned to be content. So it works both ways, okay? He's not saying you're always going to have a lot or you're always going to have a little. He's saying whatever space God has put you in, learn to be content. Learn to be focused on the provider and not the blessing. Learn to be focused on the blesser and not the blessing. So he goes on, and he gives us a doozy. He gives us a doozy. Verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a doozy. That's, that's, a, that's a preachable moment for all of eternity. And all of us probably know this verse and have quoted this verse and attempt to live out this verse, but the verse is so deep and so packed with stuff that we could spend many, many Sundays unpacking it. But let's just, let's just attempt to look at it a little bit in light of what we're talking about. Because remember, God is in charge. So the third principle is know the source. Know the source. Before we unpack this verse, there are two principles that I need you to understand about understanding this verse that we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are two, two principles that we got to be clear on to really understand, know the source. The first is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Now, I know we know that term and we throw it around, but what is the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God is simply everything that happens, God has to sign off on. Everything that happens. And he signs off on it in one of two ways. He either causes it to happen or he allows it to happen. Okay, so when, when, when you understand that we serve a God that is sovereign, you understand that nothing happens by chance. Everything that happens has to pass through his hands. Okay? So one of the things you never hear from God is oops. <laughs> you, you never hear my bad. Okay? Because he is in control of everything. He either causes it to happen or he allows it to happen. Okay? And when he allows it to happen, it may not be a good thing, but he is so powerful, he can turn it around and use it for his glory. Okay? So understand the sovereignty of God has to do everything with who we serve. So again, we're understanding knowing the source. It has everything to do with who we serve. There's no greater passage in the Bible to understand this concept than the story of Joseph. And we, and we all know this story, but the story is so rich and so deep and so all-encompassing. But the principle behind the story has to do with the sovereignty of God. For those of you that don't know the story of Joseph, Joseph was a young boy, 17 years old, and he was born into a family that was a dysfunctional family. Now, we don't call them dysfunctional too often, but when you look at how Joseph was growing up, he was in a dysfunctional family. He had a father who played favorites. He made a coat for him. The father made a coat for Joseph, and Joseph was a little bit immature. Joseph needed to grow up a little bit because Joseph would take his coat 
and he would march around in front of all his brothers and say, look how big and bad I am, okay? He was immature. But what happens with that was that his brothers got jealous of him. And they decided, you know what, we can't take this no more. And they decided they wanted to kill him. But somebody said, you know what, killing ain't really that good, so let's just sell him in slavery. They threw him into a pit, and they said, just let him, let him rot. God steps into the circumstances, and he changes the way things go. And I want to share just an aspect of that from his story. So if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. Chapter 39, starting in verse 1. Genesis 39, starting in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. Jump down to verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. How many of you know God can bless somebody that don't even know him for your sake? And the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said to him, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back from me but you, because you are his wife. And then he drops this bombshell. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's how you know Joseph could see clearly. Because most of us would say, the master is the one who's given me all this stuff. He's given me this opportunity. He's given me these things. And so we would say, how could I sin against my master? Joseph said, I know who's in charge. How could I sin against God? But not only that, I love it when God throws in stuff. That when you read it too fast, you miss it. Okay? Because it's real important. You look in verse 2. The Lord was successful. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. The Bible said he was a successful man. Now, if you're like me, you scratch your head a little bit. Because Joseph, we told him, verse 1, had been sold, and he's enslaved. But the Bible said he is a successful man. He is a successful. It didn't say he was going to be successful. It said he is successful. He is successful for one reason. God was with him. At the beginning of the verse, it says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. If you read this account of Joseph's life from beginning to end, 
you will see Joseph in so many different circumstances, so many different situations, but what you will also read over and over and over again is that the Lord is with Joseph. He, he, he turned down his master's wife. She lied on him and accused him of rape. He gets thrown in a prison. He says in verse 21, that, um, in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed mercy on him and gave him favor in sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. So over and over we see the Lord is with Joseph, okay? And he's successful because the Lord is with him, okay? When God is with us, we are successful. We don't have to wait until somebody else tells you it. We don't have to about this and that and the other. The Lord, if the Lord is with you, you're successful. So what is the evidence of the success? What is the evidence of the success? Because we know that we're successful because the Lord is with us. But there has to be evidence of the success. If there's no evidence of the success, you know, how do you know what success looks like? We're told in verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him and served him. The evidence of our success comes in service. In service. We are successful by service. If you and I aren't serving somebody, we ain't successful. We may be the most amenest people in the world, but if we ain't serving somebody, we ain't successful. As a matter of fact, that job you got, that boss that you keep complaining about, try serving them. Try serving them. That teacher that, that can't seem to get off your back, try serving them. Husband or that wife that you can't seem to work things out with, try serving them. Outserve them and see what God does to make you successful. Outserve them. Outserve them. Every time they make you mad, you do something else to serve them. Every time. Every time. And see what God does. See what success looks like in God's economy because you're serving them. You, you, if you think I'm kidding, all you got to do is look at the account that Jesus had with his disciples. It's such a profound uh, principle. Jesus had just, in Mark chapter 10, he had just taken his disciples and told them about, the, for the third time, that he was about to be taken away. Okay? And two of his disciples, they came up with a plan. They said, Jesus, we, we want you to give us something. He said, what you want? They said, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left hand. Okay? They said, we believe you're going to get all that you say you're going to get, but when you come into your kingdom, we want you to recognize us. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? They said, yeah, we are. He said, well, you surely are right. You are going to get some things. Okay? But to give you what you asked for, that ain't mine to give. That is given to the one who's been prepared for. So the other disciples, they saw what was going on. And they got troubled. They got hot. They, they, were, they were bothered by the request. So Jesus used it as a teachable moment. He says, look, you see the Gentiles, and you see how people work with them, and you see how they lord their authority over them. 
He says, with you, it's not so. He says, for the one that wants to be great, for the one who wants to be successful, has to be the servant of all. And then he drops a bombshell on him. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. That's how profound the principle was. Is if we want to make a difference, if we want to see what knowing the source looks like, it comes with service. It comes with service. And when we serve him, things change. He will make us successful because he will do only what God can do. Now, I want to, before I give you the second principle in understanding knowing the source, there's another, there's another principle I, that's related to sovereignty that, that we need to understand, okay? And that is God is providential. God is providential. He's sovereign, okay? Nothing happens outside of him that he wants to happen, but he's also providential. And providential means, in essence, it, he uses his hands to interact in time. These things happen, and he's actively involved in his creation, okay? He's just not sitting up on high mountain. He's doing stuff, even when we don't think he's doing stuff. And so for you to understand this principle, I, I want you to understand that I thank the pastor every time he gives me an opportunity to speak, okay? I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But what you may not understand is that I'm the pastor of my own house. So my wife, she hears sermons all the time. She hears sermons in, in, in the works. She hears many sermons. She hears stuff that she don't want to hear, okay? Because I'm responsible for my own house. So I, I'm talking to the men. We, we want the authority. We, we want the power, but we don't always accept the responsibility. And we got to be responsible. So, so she, gets, she gets stuff that she don't want sometimes because I got to give her what I got to give her. And so there was a time where she was struggling a little bit with getting angry. And, and my trying to work with her on it, she came up with a plan that she thought was a good plan. And that was, when I get angry, I'm going to try not to show it. And that's a good plan. You know, some of us believe in the theory of anger management. But <laughs> anger management is just putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot. Okay? That's all it is. And so I said to her, instead of trying not to get it, instead of trying to control your anger, try not to get angry, okay? Listen, try not to get angry. She called me one day and was extremely excited because she was merging into traffic. And in merging into traffic, there was somebody that was already trying to get in, and I guess she cut him off. And before she knew it, he was putting up fingers and saying words that he shouldn't have said. And she said that, she said to him, God bless you. She got at the next light, and they are across from each other at the next light. And he rolls down his window, and he says, you know what? You're right, I'm sorry. And so she called me because she was excited what he did. Why I was excited is that I saw the providence of God. See, it wasn't no coincidence that they pulled up next to each other. That was God controlling the situation of the light saying, I'm going to make you stop here and him stop there, okay? I'm going to make him say something sorry, I'm sorry to you, okay? That was the hand of God. That's, that's the providence of God. And so in order to understand how this works, in order to understand that I can do all things through Christ, we got to understand that we serve a sovereign God who is providential, okay? 
there's one other aspect that we have to understand, and that is God is sufficient. God is sufficient. God gives us stuff all the time, and whatever he gives us is enough. <laughs> is enough. You don't have to make it enough. You don't have to pray that it's enough. Whatever he gives us is enough. <laughs> the children of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness, and they were upset because they were hungry. And they said to Moses, you know what? We told you to just leave us in Egypt, where we had uh, meat in every pot, okay? Never mind the fact that we were enslaved, but we had meat in every pot. You brought us out to this wilderness to make us hungry and to kill us. And God said, I'm going to step in. He says, I'm going to do something that they haven't seen yet. And what he said is, I'm going to give them something to eat during the day. I'm going to give them some meat during the day. I'm going to give them something, some bread in the morning. So he gave them some quail, and he gave them this wafer stuff called manna. And he told them how to deal with it, okay? Because remember, they couldn't see clearly. They, they, were, they, were, they thought they were happier in, in bondage with food in the pot than they were in the wilderness under God who would provide for them. So with this manna, he said, look, everybody is to get something. Those that are in your tent, you take back some stuff to them, and you get as much as you need. So everybody gets something. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 17, that everybody got as much as they needed. The person who got a lot, there was nothing left over. And the person who got a little didn't miss nothing. Okay? Because God provides exactly what we need. He is sufficient in everything that he does. He is sufficient. But there's one other aspect of the sufficiency of God that we got to understand. Every time we get something from God, it always comes with something. The New Testament speaks of this word. It's in Greek. It's called charis. And it's written in the New Testament 155 times. 155 times. And that word, charis, is, is translated to mean grace. Grace. Every time we get something from God, it comes with grace. What is grace? Grace is God stepping in and saying, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Out of my goodness, it's for you. And so if I give it to you, it's enough. It's enough. You don't have to make it enough. You don't have to pray it enough. It is enough. It's enough because I gave it to you. Okay? It's enough. I stand before you by grace. By grace. I'm a black man who was born in the projects, the Raymond Rogers projects in North Philadelphia. I ain't supposed to be here. I ain't supposed to be here. He has taken me not only around the country, around the world, and seen things that I never thought I would see. And it's all by his grace. It ain't because of me. It ain't nothing I did. It ain't nothing I deserved. It's by his grace. Now, I don't know your story. I don't know your story. Your story may be different than my story. But if you, know, if you have a story, you ought to know how good God is. You ought to know how his grace works. I love encounter worship. I love how you perform. I love how you prepare. I love what you do. I love your music. But I love a song also called Amazing Grace. 
And let me tell you the story about the, uh, the song about Amazing Grace, is if you don't, if that's just a song to you, if, if, if the song Amazing Grace is just a song to you, all that tells me is you haven't lived long enough, okay? Because if you live long enough, that song ends up being more than a song to you. Because God's grace is so, so spectacular, so spectacular that it changes things. And what he gives us is always with grace. It's always with grace. Now, I know some of you are saying, you know what, I can't do that. I can't, I, I can't do that. I can't see things clearly. I can't understand the concept of it's no until it's go, and I can't understand the source. I, I, I can't do, make the changes that I need to make in my life to be more like Christ. You say you can't, and I get that, because I agree with you, you can't. You can't. It, it's, it's like if you and I go on a diet, you have the best of intentions, you have the right focus in mind, you try to exercise, you want to eat right, but don't watch TV. Because if you watch TV, you're going to see a commercial for McDonald's. And they're going to show you something that you don't even like. They're going to show you a Big Mac. And when you look at it, you go, it's going to look so good on that TV. Now, you're on your diet, so you don't, you're not, not only you're not supposed to have it, you don't want it, but because it looks so good, you say, I got to have it. So even though you don't want it, you're not supposed to have it, before you know it, you're in line ordering a number one with extra pickles. Now, the thing is, you know when they hand it to you through the window, it ain't going to be like the one that looks on TV. But you want it anyway. You want it anyway. So when you say you can't do it, you're right. You can't do it. You ain't supposed to do it on your own. That's why he says, through Christ who strengthens me. Because it's got to be Christ who gives us his strength. It's, it's about doing what he wants us to do, not what you want to do, okay? And so many of us, well-meaning, have this focus and this mindset that we want to do what we want to do. Whether it's good or bad, we want to do what we want to do, and we think Christ is going to sanction it, and he's not going to sanction it. He only sanctions what he wants to do. And whatever it is he wants to do, he wants that to be what we want to do. So that's how the link-up works, is that when we link up what we are asking to what he's already said, we get his strength. We get his strength. I am inviting you men over to my house sometime when you want to come over, but I want to give you a full warning. Because I got a man cave. And for those of you that don't know what a man cave is, it's just a comfortable basement in your wife's house, okay? <laughs> but I got a man cave. And like any respectable man, I got a nice TV in my man cave. And I watch basketball and I watch football. I enjoy my sports. But when I sit there, and that's what I do, what I'm warning you about is when you're watching with me, you're not going to hear any sound coming from the TV. Because what I listen to is music. I watch the game, and I listen to music. Now, you might be like my wife when she comes down and says, you got to pick one. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. It's, this is my area, OK? I listen to music. I watch the game. I, I ain't listen to the music y'all listen to. It ain't always Christian music. It ain't always gospel music. 
but it ain't that rap mess that y'all listen to, but it's real music. But the reason why I do that is because I don't need somebody on TV telling me what I should think about what I just saw. I can focus on the music, because when I'm watching a game, I can interpret what I'm seeing. I don't need somebody to tell me what I should think about what I saw. Too many of us are living life, and we're looking at circumstances, and we're letting others define what it means. What it means. And God says, I will tell you how to think. I will tell you what to do. I will tell you. You don't have to ask questions. As a matter of fact, when you watch the game, I don't care what game it is, college, high school, uh, professional, I don't care what game it is, you always have two people on the, on the broadcast. And their sole job is to tell you what you ought to think about what you just saw. That's what their job is. They're, they are the play-by-play -play guy and the color commentator. Okay, So they're going to tell you what you ought to think about what you saw. And if you buy into it, you'll think what they said. God said too many of you and I, are pe I his people, are listening to what the world says you should think about what you see instead of listening to what I said about it. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He says, I got you. He says, I got you. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what anybody else tells you about it. What I'm telling you is I got you. I got the circumstances in your life. Even if it don't look good, I got you. Okay? Because I'm in charge. Because I'm in charge. The world ain't going to tell you I'm in charge, but I'm in charge. But the first thing we got to do is we got to understand that we got to see things clearly. We got to see things clearly. We got to understand that what we see is based upon how it's never, it's never just what we see. It's how we feel about what we see. It's how we think about what we see. We got to understand that it's no until you grow. It's no until you grow. Okay? Your circumstances, my circumstances don't change until our focus changes. Okay? Until we become content. Until we become content in whatever God has placed us. Wherever God has placed us, if, if, we, if we learn to be content in that space, then he's free to move us to wherever else he wants to take us. It's like many of us have played Monopoly. And if you played Monopoly, there was one card you always hated to get. Okay? Go to jail. Do not, do not pass go. Do not what? Do not collect $200. Okay? That, that's, that's, that's you and me. Okay? God says, go to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Because if you ain't growing, you ain't going. And then lastly, we got to understand and we got to know the source. We got to know the source. We got to know that we can't do it, but guess what? He can. He can. It's all about him. It's all about him. So many of us quote this verse. So many of us uh, think about this verse, and we think about it in power of, if Jesus says it, then I can do it. When what really it's saying is, if Jesus would will it, then he's given me already enough to be able to endure whatever it is. Okay. Because remember, Paul here is talking about the resources that they have provided. And he said, I have learned. I have learned. I have learned. And unless you, are, you and I learn, we're going to keep being frustrated. But we have to understand that whatever he gives us, he gives us, it's enough. And he gives us it with grace. Amen.
Let us stand. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to...